You're listening to the Frozen Fruit Podcast with Lamy Alexicon. Thanks for being here. Don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you might be listening on, and also give the podcast a follow on Instagram and Twitter at Frozen Fruit Pod. That is Frozen Fruit P-O-D Pod. You can also follow me on my social media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Lamy Alexicon. The video for this interview will also be uploaded on my YouTube channel, or you can simply enjoy listening here. Once again, thanks for being here, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Dear listeners, please turn your undivided attention to our guest for the inaugural episode of Frozen Fruit with Lamia Lexicon. She is the tantalizing, the ever-so-talented, the pontificating, provocateur, promiscuous-ish-ish sometimes. (laughs) The ever so talented, golden delicious of Anchorage, Alaska. Welcome to the pod. Hello. Hi, pod. Oh, that's so pandemic language of you. I know. (laughs) A pod has more than one uh, meaning these days. True. It's very true. How many folks are in your pod? Well, it's complicated. (laughs) Yeah, I feel that. I mean, it's like there's the people that I live with and then it's like I go to work in the building with a couple hundred people. So it's like, right. My pod doesn't really exist, (laughs) but exactly. The pod does not exist. Exactly. does not exist. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's. You know, I live with someone who manages and uh, beer tends at a brewery. And so, you know, while they stay masked, they require their customers to stay masked. Like there's that element of my pod. And then I have like some people I take walks with, walks with, but I've been keeping it really DL. Mm -hmm. And by DL, I mean like down low of me just in my house with my dog. Absolutely. Yeah, you've been very ad, uh, vocal on social media. Absolutely. I don't want anyone else to die or be sick. And I and I especially, not to get things like started in a really dark way, but, you know, especially alone, you know, even people who are who are sick and don't have COVID can't have, you know, guests or visitors right? Like, let's get things under control so that our hospitals are like places of safety and health again, instead of these places in which people like feel alone. And yes, they're getting treatment. But I mean, think of how, I don't know if, you know, you've ever experienced hospital time, but even staying over one night can be scary and super lonely. So I can't imagine what it's like otherwise. And so I want people to get their shit together. Also, I want things to go back to like normal as much as possible. Normal, quote unquote, right? Um, I'm ready. Back to drag shows. Hello. I want to get back to the club. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so speaking of clubs, I want to start off this adventure interviewing you, this conversation with kicking it back to, so we've known each other for like, I think four years or so, something around four or five years-ish, I think. But... At Sounds that right. at the point at which I met you, you were like I, what I would consider a fixture within the Anchorage community already. But you actually got started with drag in Philadelphia, if I'm correct. Yes. Look so, at you. I know I do I do my homework. <laughs> you must have read my autobiography. <laughs> so tell me, what was it like 
getting started in Philadelphia and what was the scene like there at, um, was this 2010-ish or is that, I don't know if I'm wrong about that. Roughly, yes. And I even tried to like look back at my Instagram to see when I first had pictures from drag and the earliest is I believe 2013, but I definitely had started drag about three years or two years previous to that. So 2010 is is roughly right. I've been saying I've been doing drag for 10 plus years for like five years now. Um, but finally, now that it's 2021, it has been about like 10, 11 years. <laughs> um, and that time I had moved into this giant queer, like punk radical house in South Philadelphia. It was my first like time living amongst people that inspired me and that I identified with and felt like a reflection of myself, you know? And we wanted to have an event that was a sister event to Miss West Philly Fabulous and have it in our house and call the, the pageant we'd have Miss South Philly Fabulous. And that's my first time I ever did drag. They were like, are you gonna do it? And I was like, I'm gonna do it. Um, and from there, I just started getting like, uh, you know, then there was Miss West Philly Fabulous. So I went and did that pageant again. And then there were other uh, opportunities uh, for performing with variety shows, often fundraisers. And so people in the community, you know, in the West Philadelphia community, in the queer radical community of Philly is when I was starting to develop like more drag opportunities and more of a persona. And, and yeah, throwing little production pieces together during that time. But there were, it was about one to two times a month for the first like two years I did it. Um, even less than sometimes, um, where probably the first year I was doing drag, I did it like five, six times maybe, but I don't really remember because that was a very long time ago. Right. Um, and a lot of quaaludes, just kidding. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Not at all, but yeah. So you were 20, 21-ish, 22-ish or is am 22, I... okay. yeah, yeah. And so what yeah. was, when you, um, when you first got into drag in Philly, in that Miss Philad Miss West Philadelphia, was that was, was that what it was? Um, Miss East, Miss South Philly, Miss, <laughs> Miss <laughs> East, Miss Miss Northeast, Misdirected, <laughs> Misdirected. What was the drag like for for you and for the people you were doing it with? Is it what sort of style would you describe it as? I definitely describe it as queer. It was and radical, you know, and gender variant. And, you know, I I saw people with body hair at that first. So I'd seen drag, but I hadn't seen drag. You know, I was in, I lived in Orlando before going back to Philly. I, I did the Disney program and saw drag at Parliament House and at Pulse. And I spent my 21st birthday at Pulse and saw drag there and other clubs and instances. Um, and a little bit in Philly too after that, but this was the first time in this like West Philly house where like, you know, five queer folks live, um, where it was, it, it felt like a liberated form of, of drag and performance. And it was funny and it was creative and like all drag's creative, right? All drag takes a certain amount of creativity and like, uh, you know, it can, is impressive because it's also like inherently a, a bit dangerous. But, you know, with this form of drag, it was, it was just, it was art and it was avant-garde and, and inspiring. And it was celebrating queer people in a way that I hadn't really seen before. And that's why 
when my house was doing it and wanted to have like that sister of a uh, show, a, a pageant of South Philly Fabulous, I, I went for it and I kept my beard because I had seen that done. And so that's kind of also what inspired me to always keep my beard and hair. I love that. So it's very much in tune with your roots with drag. And with the with that take on drag, that very queer, radical, um, you know, world, was that typical of Philadelphia in that area? Or was that just sort of the, was there different, I guess what I meant is, were there different types of drag? I don't know how big the scene was, um, is there compared to uh, my reference for drag is predominantly Alaska. So right. I, I come from this from a different perspective. Yeah, and you know, it is it is a large city, right? And there's there's the club I would I would call like like the club scene of, you know, um Woody's. I don't even know if they ever had a drag show actually. But there's actually a incredible dive bar called Bob and Barbara's, which is PBR themed. And they did a weekly show and it was like pretty you know, um, put on a wig, do your makeup, throw on a gown, lip sing a song and kind of walk around the room collecting dollars kind of environment, which has its place and is amazing, especially in a dive bar. But yeah, there was was like a club, more higher polished, maybe we can call it scene. And then there's definitely like a place like Bob and Barbara's just, just had like a really fun ongoing show for like 25 plus years. And then there was a more radical queer, scene that actually started it seemed like anyway it started evolving more and more you know at the time that I started as well um so yeah it's a big city and then there was a ball scene that you know amongst BIPOC folks that like I obviously knew of but didn't necessarily see for myself but also a underrepresented community of people that don't often you know um have that platform the same as like club queens right right it's it's so interesting the different um you know different sub sub uh, subjugations i don't know if that's the right word different types of drag different drag scenes even within you know a scene and even within drag is so local and so um area specific and so when so you started drag in philly you um you moved around a little bit in the lower 48 i believe is that correct before you made your way up to Alaska? Yes, so my main locations of residency and and performing. (laughs) Residency. (laughs) Yes, well, she's a resident queen, right? She starts off as a, um, you know, Grey's Anatomy and all Mm -hmm. that. Um, So, (laughs) so stupid. Um, I started drag in Philly and after doing drag there and living there and and having my life there, (laughs) um, I then moved to New Orleans and performed there, uh, more often and really found a groove in that community and within my self as an artist, as a drag performer, um, from 2014 to 2000 or 2014? to 2016 was that it i met you in 2016 okay when did you move what year did you move to alaska so it's confusing because i came up in 2015 from new orleans and stayed here for five months and then went back to new orleans and then came back in the she, summer of she 2016. Maintained, she maintained two residencies for That's a right. brief, brief moment. 
Yeah. <laughs> Just an international drag phenomenon. What can I say? Oh, God, and, phenomenon. <laughs> and so what brought you to Alaska? I know you, I think you have family here. And so what brought you to Alaska? And I guess more curiously, what possessed you to stay once you got here? The devil. Um, <laughs> straight up a demon possessed me and said, you must stay in Alaska, bitch. Um, I, it was Ivana Kishikok, actually. Um, she's the demon. Um, <laughs> I... You heard it here first. Yep. A pod exclusive. <laughs> Ivana possessed my body. She still does every day. I, uh, in 2015, I came up to spend time with my family and get away from like the heat and the kind of like social and party exhaustion of New Orleans. Mm -hmm. um, my family was actually telling me and trying to convince me that, that I would belong here and that I would find a place here and like opportunities. And I was like, in Alaska, girl, what are you talking? I don't understand. I can't comprehend. Right. But it's wild because they were right. I mean, they're witches. My mom is like, her intuition is amazing. And I came up here and I went to Myrna's and I was singing karaoke like by myself, I think. I went, I was like, I'm going to go to the gay bar. And the uh, VJ or KJ was a VJ throwback um, was like, you have a good voice. Um, we are having auditions for live Rocky Horror show um, and you should audition. And I was like, yeah, I actually was just in the bathroom and saw that auditions are happening. And I thought about it and I was like, oh, that would be cool. And you know, maybe I could even be Frankenfurter. I mean, that would be like the dream. I never even thought about playing him live, ever. Really? And then, yeah, no, never thought about that being a dream role or anything. And then it quickly became my dream role because I went to auditions and got cast. And so Love it. that being, yeah, that being a huge staple of not only the Anchorage community, but like even a lot of Alaska and like outside of Anchorage specifically. That was the way that I stepped into this community. Like, I mean, it wasn't even dipping my toes and being like, oh, I'm just gonna keep going to the bar and and maybe like introduce myself to some of the girls or say hi to some people and make some friends. No, it was like, you're the lead in this live production that everyone goes to. You were just suddenly <laughs> at the center of the community starring in the production at um, probably the most well-known gay queer establishment in Alaska. Yes, I would say so. Although it's not the oldest, um, the Raven is the oldest gay bar, queer bar in the Pacific Northwest. Now, so. tell me about that, because I think that um, a lot of people do not know that. So it's kind of an interesting, fun fact to discuss. Um, sure. Where is the Raven? I've never been there myself. So I actually, I don't know. I don't really know the story behind the Raven. I don't fully know the story behind the race, <laughs> but oops. Okay. I do, well, we can always back up. <laughs> I, I do. I mean, I do know it still exists. No, it's on fourth Avenue in downtown or Fairview Anchorage. Okay. Um, and it has been there since the seventies. Um, and I, again, I don't know the full history, but it opened at that time. There weren't other like Pacific Northwest like gay bars during that time. I mean, it might have even been earlier, but now that what I know that predates Mad Myrna's. I don't. Mm -hmm. When was mm -hmm. do you know when Myrna's was founded or first opened? So Myrna's has a history. 
that's beyond even Myrna's as like a mm -hmm. building where a queer bar is. There was a bar there before Myrna's, which was called Blue Moon. Okay. Um, and that is where many of the first drag shows took place in this city. Wow. Um, and in and most likely all of Alaska. Um, and so, yeah, and there was like a queer bookstore attached to it. That's so cool. During that time. And like, I don't know if you've gotten to frequent queer bookstores before um, in other places, because we don't have any anymore in Alaska. But There's actually a new one in Fairbanks that I'm blanking oh. on the name, but um, it's called, uh, what is that very famous gay author from like the 1800s? Carrie Bradshaw. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's like the dude who has quotes about like being well-dressed and other things the like dude. that oh god i'm blanking um, on it. there's it's some so there's some like something something society place in fairbanks now that's like mm -hmm. a queer bookstore that okay i should figure out and once i figure that out i will post that on the frozen fruit podcast Wait. social media because <laughs> um i think i'm discovering well this is why well i guess backing it up a little bit this is why i wanted to do this podcast in general was to just discuss queer history in Alaska, queer things, and kind of um, document it because I do feel like this state has a lot of stories that are very interesting and a lot of people doing different things, you know, in different parts of the state and um, queer people, I mean, and you don't really hear about it that much. It's, um, we, we pop up in like newspapers and local radio stations and things, you know, every once in a while, but there's a lot of unexplored um history for lgbtq plus people in this state absolutely and it's fascinating and beautiful and so you know while i was auditioning for rocky that first year in 2006 um i or 2005 damn sorry 2015 <laughs> <laughs> hey we never said Woo! it was like uh, a straight up history podcast. <laughs> yeah. And also we don't have notes. Okay. I mean, those <laughs> people just sit and talking about um, like legit history. They, they have no cards. They, they know, they also know what they're doing and we're just, we're amateur. Hey, I'm a political science major and I get the world wars okay. confused. So, you know, right. it is what it is. <laughs> we can only do so much. So world war Z. Um, <laughs> so 2015, I auditioned and then immediately went and um, volunteered as a chaperone for a queer youth event, which is an educational three-day event. Um, and so I eventually got hired by that organization, Identity. Right. And it was through working for them that I learned so much history. And I then, of course... And also recognizing while I was submerged in the community at Myrna's through performance, how many people didn't even hear of identity. Right. So many people when I first started, I was like, I got a new job. You know, friends I was making, I'm like, I got a new job or just people I'd see. Oh, where? Identity. What's that? <laughs> multiple, multiple LGBTQ plus people. Right. And it's the, like one of the only LGBTQ centers in the state. Um, I yes. don't, I don't want to say the only one, cause I know that there's P flag and other different groups that exist, 
but um well, it's the only one that has a space yeah um well that's not true anymore at the time it was but seward has a space that they rent now for their community um there are other spaces that are that are available and friendly right but yes it is it is what they refer to themselves as like the leading alaska lgbtq resource and advocacy center mm -hmm. um and so yeah i had the honor of like hearing these stories and hearing about you know in the 40th anniversary of pride 1977 the first pride as we know a riot globally this was a march in downtown anchorage where they wore paper bags over their heads and held signs and 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 marched through town and they had rocks thrown at them and they were attacked you know in a violent way and this was they were wearing paper bags so that you know many of them were military hard jobs and they didn't want to be discharged or fired right so it was to um, protect the, and conceal the yes. identity yes but wanted to say we are here yeah this is alaska and guess what there's gay people um and gender variant people and you know that was a time where there was a bar where people could meet but there was still fear of like you know losing your job or and there was definitely don't ask don't tell and so right um yeah hearing the history has been an incredible part of living here and i am still here because i'm inspired by that because it is so readily available to learn about and then also i want to continue telling that story with my own art i want to continue that like legacy i hope that i can and and will and am and so prior to <laughs> that's beautiful now <laughs> <laughs> you can tell I'm still getting the hang of trying to transition between <laughs> topics and subjects, but so prior yeah. to the, <laughs> prior to um, working for identity, did you have much experience with community organizing and um, that sort of nonprofit type of sector of work? So before identity, um, I had worked in Philadelphia at an HIV AIDS nonprofit thrift store for six years. Okay. And I started as a volunteer because it was like very volunteer based. And then as just as I did with identity, starting off as a volunteer and developing and, and getting the opportunity to be an employee, there was so much growth in the first two years that I worked there that I became, um, I was hired to be clothing manager of the department of clothes which was huge because everyone in philly it seemed like brought their donations to okay this center um and yes the job at hand was to get clothes on the racks to price vintage items and fun items like specifically where we could be raising money for local hiv aids organizations and actually went to philly aids fund which then spread it to 30 different organizations in the city um, but while there, I was inherently connected to a lot of the queer community, connected to the HIV AIDS community, connected to young people looking for a place of comfort and fun. Right. Um, and we also led like different volunteer groups, um, you know, through their, their hours they had to fulfill as a college student or a high school student. So I had this position where I was working like directly with so many different people from so many different walks of life. There were like retirees that came and fulfilled like hours mm -hmm. or just wanted to be around people. Um, it was a haven for for queer people and a, and a safe place and 
Um, I got to also then in or, or bring my drag as I started drag into that as well. And my boss there was constantly asking me to help organize and host and engage it with my drag with the fundraising scene as well right. of like being an HIV AIDS fundraising organization. So yes, it's <laughs> <laughs> the answer to that question. You had, yeah, um, you had a lot of experience with that stuff and, a bit, yeah. and I've always known you as always being involved in some charitable type of function or event, or like, if you're not currently doing one, then you're planning the next one. And that's kind of just like one of the things that you do. You know, and I'm not, I, I, I want to take this time to share that, like, that, you know, I've, I've had some imposter syndrome, like, especially from the pandemic where I'm like, why do I do that? Like, do I want to feel like I'm a good person? Like, where, mm. where does it come from that I feel the need to like literally work my ass off? Um, and, and truly I do. And, um, I think that, you know, we start to get insecure about the decisions we're making because we, we start to, we start to have a hard time like balancing where our ego lays with right. like doing charitable work. And like one minute you're like, how many likes did I get on this photo? And the next <laughs> you're like, I just really want people to like show up to this event to help us raise money for this organization, you know? And and I think like it's, especially with drag and as a queer person who has like a, a history of trauma and cultural trauma or personal trauma, it's really hard to like keep our head above the water when we are working so hard. Um, but I will say that like in these conversations I have with myself or sometimes other people, like in the end, I just love this community so, so, so much. And I wanna see it be the best it can essentially be. And I feel like my participation in that is not only representing like decent drag, <laughs> like, you know, representing the drag that I, I want right. to represent, but also to use that art that's connected to the history of drag and advocacy and charitable work and activism and like, and, and continue that. I, I said, like, I've always known you as like this charitable type person, but also like <laughs> um, advocacy was something you brought up in that because mm -hmm. A lot of this charity work, it is advocacy, you know, you're advocating right. for different causes, whether it's like raising fun money for AIDS related issues or for, you know, different stuff. And that um, kind of segues into one of the other main things I wanted to talk to you about, which was um, in 2017, 18, 2018, there was the um, Proposition 1 ordinance, in, or not ordinance, Proposition 1 ballot measure introduced in Anchorage by the Alaska Family Council, which um, targeted LGBTQ people, specifically transgender people, and tried to carve out um, in, in the city code from the equality ordinance that had been passed a year, a couple years before, and um, was basically came to be known as like the bathroom bill, the anti-transgender bathroom bill. And so at that time, you were working for identity and very involved in the performance community. And what was that like trying to juggle those different hats and um, advocate in, you know, that political storm? That was a time of learning for me. Mm -hmm. I don't feel that I, 
I participated as much as I'm participating in advocacy boots to the ground as I am now. Um, I, I mean, I was youth program manager and leading programming for gender variant youth, you know, and providing the support and providing even like a space to be like, hey, let's, let's talk about this. And let's, and let's also provide this like space of support where you feel loved and you feel accepted and affirmed for sure. Like that was my my goal with being youth program manager with identity. Um, but I I did a lot of listening and I went to like quite a few events of you know spaces where people had an opportunity to talk about this, talk about their experience as a gender variant person, a trans individual, and and how this felt and their previous experiences in using the bathroom and how it is it can be such a dangerous and terrifying place to be and such a vulnerable place to be. And so I really do feel like that was a time of listening and learning for me. Um, it was awesome to see the drag community representing their support for it on stage with signs and performances that were specific to, you know, defeating that initiative and by standing with, um, and representing standing with our trans siblings and gender varying community. And so, and some of us being that, you know, um, ourselves. And so Absolutely. I'm very, yeah. So I, I, and I'm just so glad we defeated it and I'm still disappointed at how close the numbers were. Mm -hmm. um, so that's always something to reflect on too, is like our job is so not done when we look at those numbers and we see that it was like within 1500 votes absolutely yeah and i think that um i reflect about that period um kind of often i think mostly because that was when i was starting to get really involved in the the drag scene in anchorage and um not just the drag scene but also advocacy advocacy and that type of stuff and that issue really did unite Anchorage and the queer community there in a way that was um, was kind of, uh, it kind of galvanized everybody. And then there's this big relief when something like that is defeated. And what I think is kind of scary about that also is that we that was the defense, you know? So it's like the relief of like, we, we held like the, we held the line, but we didn't gain ground. We didn't lose ground. We just held it. And I guess I just kind of wanted to pose the question to you of like, what do you feel like is the state of um, life for like LGBTQ people here in Alaska? Just and not speaking on behalf of the community, but like your perspective, right. what what you've seen, you know, in your life, like bef before you came to Alaska, since you've came to Alaska, you've seen like changes in the community. And like, what what's your perspective on where we are, are and what's, um, you know, what's up? coming up in the future what's next <laughs> and it, if any of my questions are <laughs> you're welcome to disagree with how i characterize anything or um reframe the question however you'd prefer um next question please <laughs> um i know i appreciate that question and as you said i can't speak for the entire community right. and i i do have a lot of privilege um living here living anywhere as a white um, fairly like cis presenting, you know, bearded, large bodied, you know, uh, person. And, you know, I wear flannels and caps and jeans most days. Well, joggers more these days, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, with that privilege, I understand my perspective is going to be based in that. Um, right. 
but I'm also in a lot of meetings and a lot of organizing where people are sharing and are, are inspired by the work that we do here, inspired by legislation that is passed to protect us. And I have to say that if I didn't in the end feel like there was hope or had, or, or had faith in like our community here, which I think many of us do, even the most vulnerable of like people in the queer and gender variant community, then I would be, I wouldn't be here because it is still a conservative place. And so that being said, I am someone, and people have been like very surprised by this recently, but I am someone who like does not frequent spaces outside of Myrna's as far as like a club or a bar. And I used to perform in all different spaces and bars and, and, and went to many bars and restaurants and spaces in Philly and in New Orleans. I mean, New Orleans is one of the gayest places in the country. I mean, it's, it's a rainbow flag is like, I mean, the, the French Quarter, I don't even think people know, the French Quarter is literally just surrounded by gay bars. And then in the center, there's also like gay bars. So um, that's amazing. Here, <laughs> yeah, it's and and I miss that feeling because honestly, I do not feel safe going to like quite a the, bit of the bars here um, and like would probably never necessarily go and drag. Mm, and right. I just that's just me um and i i have to honor that part of my fear and myself and my own traumas and experiences while also saying like hey the assembly just passed a um ban on conversion therapy in right. our community so we're doing what we got to do <laughs> yeah absolutely you know and it's it's an interesting um conversation around like where where people feel safe in you know a place like Alaska and like for for me just my personal experience um I have kind of grown out of this and now I wear different types of clothes but um when I was a teenager I would wear super ripped up jeans you know skinny jeans and I grew up in Fairbanks and in Fairbanks I wear that wherever and people just would not really bat an eye at me and when I moved to Anchorage and would go around to the malls and to the university and other places I felt like a lot more eyes on me in a way that I, and it is a larger town, it's a larger city. Um, so there's just more people, it's more diverse than Fairbanks as well. But it was surprising to me. And I, I think I gradually stopped doing that in part because of the unwanted attention, um, you know, from that. And it's, it's kind of, um, it's interesting the way that that changes, depending on where you go in this state. And um, so yeah, I, I think, I just meant, I know, I think I know a little bit about what you're talking about. And um, yeah, it's like, that's why, you know, I think especially with the pandemic, it's kind of, it's, it's lame for um, queer people also because like um, establishments like a gay bar aren't just um, a place where you get a drink. It's also where you see your community, you know, and right. um, it's this place that, you know, people find comfort, but um, I'm supposed to be interviewing you now. <laughs> so <I'm gonna> shut, <laughs> shut up. No, no, it's, I mean, I think this should be a reflection of your experiences and, and opinions as well. Um, otherwise you wouldn't be choosing to have a podcast. <laughs> um, you know, those, 
everything you and and what you just shared like it there is a certain amount of like relief or or connectivity in the fact that you're like hey i experienced wearing these things in fairbanks and didn't really feel like people noticed but in anchorage for some reason i felt eyes on me and that has been my experience in anchorage like mm-hmm. and i just don't know if it's like a if it's a culture thing within anchorage to like when someone walks in the space or in the room to like get all eyes looking at you looking right. you up and down and then looking away but it's like anytime i want to go onto the roof deck of willowa even or like some other right. space i like walk into the space and feel like many eyes over to me and not smiles which is a very friendly place you're walking on a trail people yeah. are saying hello to you you're walking down the street people often say hi um there's like a sense of friendliness but I don't know the like young 20 something to mid 30 like community that goes to these that goes to bars or somewhere like the rooftop roof uh, deck at Willowa like I don't know I would feel like I was being looked at and it's right. because of historical cultural and my personal trauma as a queer person that I feel like the reason why they're doing that is potentially to cause me harm mm-hmm. or just be judging me and that is where homophobia isn't just a direct act of violence. It is not a, a you know, derogatory term. It is also the effects that those acts of violence, those opinions, and those fears that people have that perpetuate into ourselves. And then mm. we have a fear that comes up of like, well, why is that person staring at me? They're staring at me because they think I look gay. Like, do I look gay? Like, what do I look like? What do they perceive me as? Meanwhile, I'm a six foot two bearded right. flannel wearing like person who like wouldn't necessarily look any different from anyone else up there. Also, right. maybe they're checking me out. <laughs> That's what I always like to think. You know, and it's um, one thing that I definitely noticed moving um, between Fairbanks and Anchorage because I moved to Anchorage in 2016 for college at UAA. Um, In terms of when we talk about like when people kind of give you the once over um, in Fairbanks, people are not really about um, brand names. Like you don't see people carrying like handbags that are like, you know, Michael Kors or coach and other, I don't know. But in Anchorage, you see a lot of people um, kind of sporting, you know, more luxury type goods and stuff. And I don't it's it and that just comes with you know more of a cosmopolitan population center wherever you go but it definitely um I know I know the once over that you're talking about <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's a thing the scan it is right like and then I mean I don't know what comes up as the like you know uh conclusion of that scan um but it happens and it happens a lot and like in Myrna's is where I feel safe with that happening because I'm like this is my home also you could actually be checking me out and that's like a whole like relative you know that's relative to um what space you're in and what kind of the friendly environment it is uh, for queer people right absolutely yeah. yeah it's interesting and um I think that, um, uh, well, I guess this, I'm going off a little off track, but one thing for me is, um, so I, I have like a little bit of social anxiety and, you know, anxiety in general and COVID has now added another layer onto that of like the COVID anxiety. It's like, it's not just social. It's like, then there's like the COVID on top of it. So it's, it's weird because, um, all of these social dynamics, you know, are now kind of even further complicated by that 
external factor on top of it. And um, it, it kind of, I think, speaks to the resilience of queer people in general that we've really, um, the queer community in Alaska has stayed connected. And we've like done the digital shows. Um, each community has been putting those on. And you've been organizing those in um, Anchorage with Quarantine for a Cause. And so like, I wanted to ask you about, um, as a producer, someone who's produced in-person shows and now producing digital content and these live streams, what has been um, your experience with trying to figure out this new sort of digital medium in this space? And what, um, I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? Did the, do the skills transfer? Have you been teaching yourself new stuff? And what, yeah, I just wanted to kind of pose that question. <laughs> well, um, you were a political science major. I was a computer science major. Oh, so okay. So I, it was like, you know, um, zeros and ones, um, matrix, you know, mm -hmm. just really simple. No, I had no idea what I was doing and I still don't. I mean, but I will say that, I mean, and we've talked about this in Brunch Babes, like there's yeah. a moment, there's a couple moments where like, we need to love on each other and love ourselves and like honor the fact that we in our resiliency as queer people were like okay now i'm gonna learn an entire new new platform to make sure that we continue to have opportunities for ourselves and our communities like right what the hell you know <laughs> like what were straight people doing during this time oh um, my god i know it, it's like um now I, like no for offense. me i have like I have a green screen. I have all this lighting equipment. I have a microphone now. It's sort of like, um, it's and that kind of is just um, drag. I think drag really involves a lot of craftiness, resourcefulness, and kind yes. of do it yourselfness, whatever yes. you describe that <laughs> as. So I think that um, those of us who do drag kind of have the mindset of like make it work, figure it out. It, it has been a. Tr it's been a. It's been interesting, you know. It has. I. I mean, let's like maybe do, let, let me just say like my least favorite element of it because, you know, that's that's there. And then maybe my favorite part of it. My yeah. least favorite part of it is the fact that it's not live, yeah. right? The fact that like, you don't have the energy of the room. You don't have the like money, <laughs> the immediate like tipping. Hello. Uh, right? Like money in your hand, money in your pocket. Um, you know, the live, there's a lot of things under that umbrella that like make it not as enjoyable to produce and or like perform host. Um, but then my favorite part of it has been the, has been the uh, opportunity I've had to gain another skill of like video editing. And I mean, I never really did that before. I think I took like an audio visual class like my 11th grade year of high school. And I've, you know, used maybe Instagram editing tools for a filter <laughs> or two. Right. But, you know, a full on five minute video to seven minute video, uh, or, you know, even less than five sometimes, um, that's not something I ever imagined I would necessarily be doing. Like the production, the like directing, the costuming, the hair, the makeup, mm -hmm. the um, asking your roommate to hold a camera in front of you right. for like two to three hours. <laughs> and then the, uh, 
painstaking elements of like making sure it's all uploaded if yeah. you're if you're helping someone else edit a video getting that from them to then mm. edit the the editing of hosting that i've had to do for some of the quarantine for causes that we did pre-recorded so that it was just easier for us to stream it i was literally like painstakingly like editing out as much as I could. So we're talking like ums yeah. and pauses and all of that to make it the most fluid, like presentable show that I wanted it to look like. It's a lot harder. But, I mean, yeah. I would say it's, well, maybe not harder. There's a level of time consuming this to the, the digital medium that's just not there with in-person shows. In, ter in terms of learning the skill set and stuff, it's like now, now for work and stuff. So not not even drag related. I'm the one like setting up like teleconferences and like live streams, and I'm like, oh, I I know. It's like this has given me so many more skills that I can directly translate into my job. So that's been kind of cool because I, it's, it's made me feel like okay, all of this stuff that I'm putting time into all of these shows that maybe 40 people are watching it's not all for nothing you know because we're learning we're teaching ourselves things learning. we're <laughs> we're learning <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I so uh, uh, uh in reflecting like the positives of learning these skills and how then you can take that outside of even drag the executive director of identity the the newer one been there for about six months I believe um contacted me to get in touch and part of that was to see to say you know I noticed that you're you've developed produced not sure if she know I was really editing these shows but was like hey looks like you're like video looks like you're Steven Spielberg <laughs> um can you maybe could you possibly help us and assist us with some editing with the the digital um virtual transgender day of remembrance event and so i had this awesome opportunity to be asked to participate as a volunteer with identity and specifically with this event that means so much to me and to the community um and i got to edit the um candlelight vigil videos that were sent in and i got to choose like you know the music that went along with it and got to like make it be this this moment of um togetherness while we're all far apart and right. i got to like use these skills with with drag shows and provide that for transgender day of remembrance and now i'm also uh assisting the committee for transgender day of visibility and the virtual show that that's an event that that's going to be and it's, so it's like who knew there was yeah. such a practical application to getting in drag and doing a lady gaga number in your backyard <laughs> like it's like i mean <laughs> speaking of avada um <laughs> yeah that's for real who knew but at the same time it's like you know and i didn't really think about it but then Gigi, um during one of our brunch babes saying the resiliency of queer people i believe that's when i first I, like yeah really heard it or thought of the concept and i was like oh my god and uh, I think what, right. she, yeah, and what <laughs> she brought up was like, um, in terms of like performance communities and arts communities, and I know that people have done different stuff, but like the, the AK drag has been like consistent since it was like, since we were quarantined, it's like, okay, okay, we got this monthly shows done. Like, or I mean, in some months, some months that some groups have done more than one show. I mean, I, yeah. I, 
we in Klondike Drag, we I think we did three things in October, and I was like, what are we doing? Like, we're just like, I mean, well, I don't know what else you're gonna do. Well, um, things are shut down or or not safe, you know. But um, yeah. <laughs> well, why do you think? Why do you think we? Because I could answer this question, and I okay. do in my head as I ask. But what do you? Why do you think Alaska specifically do, does push essentially push ourselves so often in that way, and maybe even specifically in the drag or queer scene? Like, why do you think that is? You know, I. Um... In, in Fairbanks, there's kind of like a joke that there's like, because there's for a small town, there's a million different performance art arts groups. There's like lots of different dance groups or belly dance groups or multiple burlesque groups and all this stuff. And there's kind of like a joke that like, um, there's so many different ones because they can't get along together. <laughs> and <laughs> so it's like, no. so it's like, I'm gonna do my own thing. We're gonna do my show my way. But um, oh, God that doesn't really answer your question though but i i think <laughs> i think it speaks to just like um there's like a sort of a grit of like um we like doing things ourselves and um you know when you're i mean alaska is geographically isolated from a lot of the the rest of the world and um then we're weather wise you know seasonally we're isolated in different ways and then um you know, it's expensive to travel around. So people don't always do other stuff. So I think that what I what I mean by that and why I said there's all those groups in Fairbanks, I think there's a level of like, you have to entertain yourself here. You know, you, people have to have something to do in the winter when it's 30 below. And, um, you know, it's, it's dark for 22 hours of the day. You know, what are you going to do? I mean, for me, I'm going to craft, I'm going to like, I'm going right. to style a wig. I'm going to like, I'm going to find something to keep myself busy, you know? So I, I don't know, maybe it's part of that, of just like, um, we're kind of a weird place with some weird people and we like to, I don't know, we like to put on a show and <laughs> entertain ourselves. Weird place, weird people, weird activities. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think that the, the, the isolation factor um, has a lot to do with it, but I do, I do agree with, with essentially everything you said, I do think it's interesting, your first comment about like people, <laughs> people like, you know, well, we don't, I don't want, I don't want to have to get along with you. So I'm going to start my own shit. Um, I wonder if that's the case in like every other place too, though, you know, I mean. I wouldn't know because I've predominantly lived here most yeah. of my life. Let's talk about um, aesthetics because that's something that I think <laughs> Drag queens always love to talk about is aesthetics. And I have really noticed since COVID um, with you, with your drag, with your social media, with your videos that you've been producing or outputting, whatever you want to call it. I've really noticed like an attention to detail that I really appreciate and like a, like an intention. Like you like, it seems like you like to do like, look like head to toe looks and like really like think through things. Correction, other than the videos, head oh. to waist. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, because... if, it's, if it's for the gram, who's going to know? <laughs> Absolutely. Tinder, um, don't know if you know her. Hmm. Um, a more recent development on my Tinder profile is okay. that I like straight up say aesthetic 
like means everything to me. Um, because that's something that I like honor about myself since COVID. Since being, since like nesting nearly every day in my space in the way that I do, I've just recognized more than ever how design and art and like my space and the spaces I go into or the like how I appear, especially mm-hmm. with drag, is like is really so centering, mm. so centering for me. And as a part of my resiliency as a queer person is like taking control, right, of my space, of myself and being like, I am going to be unapologetically who I am to the to the degree that I can be comfortably anyway and safely. So um, I I don't know what happened with COVID where like I also took a break at the beginning of 2020 and end of 2019 from drag. Right. I, I remember that. Took some space. I definitely needed to take space from performing super regularly. And so I had performed, I think, like a handful of times and hosted a couple of things in the beginning of 2020, but was not performing regularly at the Friday night show at Myrna's. And so I think that little break and then leading into a time of like more of a break almost. Mm-hmm. But giving myself that first March of of COVID, you know, we had our first quarantine for a cost show in April. So, like, right. really, I took March to, like, you know, figure everything out. And then I was like, let's do this and let's figure this out. And being able to focus on, like, this part of your drag. Right. And, like, what wig you're going to wear and what accessories, because I love, like, jewelry now and have for, like, the last, like, mm-hmm. year or so. Like, it makes it easier, too. It really does. Like, yeah. And not performing every freaking week, sometimes multiple times a week. You get to really think more about your look and aesthetic and what you want to represent. And yeah, so that's mm-hmm. where I think my inspo really has come from. And take the time to, like, you know order things and like put a whole costume together like for me i have like now um like two or three like really nice quality like head-to-toe costumes with like accessories and that's something that before um covid you know i had stuff to wear and i i think i my drag was you know is, is decent but um definitely did not have that that there's just the the time of like <laughs> putting everything together and being like more intentional with it and so that's been it has been kind of fun to like um I've felt like what you have with um the putting the pause on stuff because for me I was never in at a place where I was doing a weekly show but it's like I'm doing I'm like very busy and then have like a monthly show and it's like each each show I was doing it's like coming together last minute and I'm not really prepared and I'm kind of making it work and throwing it together and right. um, when COVID happened, it's like, um, I mean, the videos are still, there's an element of throwing it together and not being prepared, but it's, it's, it is like, it's a slower pace, you know, it's not, it's not so like up, 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 up. It's sort of like, and that's, what's kind of weird as a performer um, without that live audience and stuff, it can be hard to get into it with a recording, a video performance. Absolutely. But like as an actress, 
as an actress as an as a as an award-winning actor in character um, yes i mean i loved i loved getting a chance to like perform in front of the camera too that's been mm-hmm. like really fun and like while it like is exhausting and like i haven't been in heels for so long and like i'll randomly get in heels to like record a video and i'm like why have i ever done this to my body and how will i ever do this like live again for a full number like running around um it's called adrenaline and a yeah. drink. adrenaline and a drink um is is you know it's it's been really fun to do that for me i mean i I went to school for theater. I love performing and drag is the reason why I love drag so much is I think a large reason is that I get to like be an actor. Mm -hmm. I get to feel what I feel in that moment through the song, through the character choice, through the story I want to tell. And the movement and and the, the performance. Yeah. So that's, it's, it's a really big, um, a really big part of drag for me anyway and now with aesthetics that the it's like two very large parts of who i am get to come together with drag i mean mm-hmm. drag is an aesthetic like it just it just is and an art and so and like do you think that maybe because we're not on stage and that's where you're a very like you know emotive performer who kind of leaves it all on the stage and expresses themselves do you think the aesthetic is sort of where that energy has put has translated into in terms of like the expression, you know? Yes. Or am I reaching? (laughs) No, I, I, I think that's absolutely true. I, you know, thanks for psychoanalyzing me. Um, I, Dr. Lamia (laughs) is in residence. (laughs) So a part of my pandemic journey has been the nesting has and then has been doing drag in my space more than ever. Mm-hmm. Drag has always been something where I get my shit from my space, then I go to another space, do it, get out of it, and go home. Right. And my and even my gender identity has been affected by, and my gender experience has been affected by the fact, I believe, by doing drag in my space at all times the last year. Mm. I mean, it, it brings forth this like comfortability and safety in this expression that like, I mean, I've literally been doing most drag, virtual drag things where I'm hosting or, or having an event such as this, like Brunch Babes, next to my bed, next yeah. to where I sleep. It's in front of me. It's where I have like paperwork for hosting the show. In a, in, in intimate a and personal <laughs> in, a whole, <laughs> in a whole new way. Yes, exactly. Thank you so much for being my first guest on this podcast. And I'm sure that I will have you on in the future because I feel like we just sort of scratched the surface of um, how much the two of us can blab. <laughs> Scratch the surface of my lottery ticket, honey. <laughs> so what is on the horizon for Golden Delicious? And what do you have coming up for anyone who might be listening to this? So for February, Queer and Teen for a Cause will be having a show uh, February 27th. And I'm not sure of the theme, but we are raising money for the new identity clinic, which is moving from like full spectrum health into identity. Um, and so we are raising money for that like larger nonprofit establishment which will benefit the lgbtq community and that's amazing which is so great and so we're kind of wanting to raise money for them 
Um, and Lord, I don't know of what else. I'm going to organize that. I feel like something else is happening, but maybe I'm just thinking of all the RuPaul drag races that are happening right now. Um, <laughs> I am selling merch. Um, hmm. So I, I saw the stickers. Yes, I have a sh a shirts and hoodies as well. I love that. Um, which is on my Instagram, and I'm taking orders through Venmo, and I'll be printing with Tent City uh, Press, which is a local printing company here in Anchorage. Um, and I'm taking orders through February 4th, so I'm not sure what day you might get this up, but um, okay, February 4th is when I'm taking orders for them. But um, yeah. Please join us on February 27th. It's going to be a great time. We'll have we'll have tons of drag and tons of information about the new clinic. Um, and just like getting vaccinated. Yeah. <laughs> that's the that's that's the next step. I can't wait. I'm like, give me my shot. I want it in my arm. And yeah. absolutely. Well. Thank you so much for joining me and opening up about your life experiences and your thoughts Absolutely. and all of that stuff. I, um, this is, it's been really fun getting to know you more and like, cause we, we were, we've got, we've done stuff, you know, in person and in Anchorage and in Fairbanks or actually even in Juno, we performed together, but then through, through doing brunch babes and stuff, it's like, we talk more frequently than like a lot of people that I, like I see in like other ways. So it's yeah. been cool. And thank you for being here with me. Well, and... I love you, Lamia. And <laughs> I love how connected you and I stay and how we always find our way back to each other um, <laughs> through all this chaos and this pandemic and this virus. Um, and I'm very impressed with you and all the work that you do. And uh, let's talk about that more next time. And girl, <laughs> you better invite me to be back on because we all know the first episode ain't going to be heard as many times as the 10th one. So <laughs> You're right. No, definitely. This is the, the tip of the iceberg. I'm going to need to be on the, invited onto that 20th episode anniversary moment. <laughs> okay, maybe. Yes. Okay. Good. Well, good luck with your event and have a wonderful evening and a wonderful <sighs> rest you. of your weekend. You too. Hugs and kisses, love. <laughs> Thanks. Right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining me today on Frozen Fruit. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give us a like and follow on our social media. Additionally, if you have any feedback or suggestions for future interviews, please get in touch with me over social media or by Gmail at lamialexicon at gmail.com. Once again, hope you enjoyed the episode and have a great rest of your day. Bye.